Hello and welcome to the Keep It Local Maine podcast, where we tell the stories of local business owners and Maine residents and learn more about what they do, who and what inspires them, their challenges, successes, and more. My name is Todd Regalinski. And I am Kimberly Regalinski. And we are the publishers of Keep It Local Maine, a local magazine that helps showcase local businesses to the people in and around their communities. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly podcast that you can subscribe to on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can learn more about us at keepitlocalmaine.com and follow us on on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through the links in the show notes. In this episode, we'll be talking with author Christine Delano. Christine is a 20-plus year career woman of Wall Street who left her panoramic city view and expense account in 2019 to pursue writing, enjoy family, and savor her great state of Maine. She's on the board of a 7,000-member global financial services organization focused on women empowerment and is a speaker, mentor, and strategic planner for businesses, churches, and parachurch organizations. She is a critique partner and literary judge at ACFW, American Christian Fiction Writers, and MWPA, Maine Writers and Publishers Alliance. Information on her award-winning short stories and in-progress novels can be found at christinedelano.com. Welcome to the show, Christine. We're so glad to have you here today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Kim. This is exciting. This is exciting. Thank you. Yes. So excited because it's not often that we get to talk to somebody that's worked on Wall Street. I feel so important. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Well, it is. uh, It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm just, you know, Todd and Kim, I just just really respect what you do. I, I love that you are just all about sort of, you know, finding people in Maine and businesses to to talk to and to highlight. It's really, it's just such a pleasure to be here. We have so much fun. So I want to dig in. This is exciting. So tell us, you have spent two decades working on Wall Street before you started writing. And so what was your, what was your inspiration for, you know, becoming an author? And was it a single moment or a culmination of kind of many moments, you know, transitioning from Wall Street to writer? What was right, like? right. Well, a uh, little different career path. Uh, mm-hmm. But Just after about 20 years of running new product development and strategy for firms in and around Wall Street, I was ready to leave my cool city view, my great position, um, and all the perks. My kids were in elementary school to high school. My amazing husband was building Delano Architecture. And I started just to have this feeling of wanting to get out of the career that I had taken mm-hmm. decades to build. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but mm-hmm. the pace of life had accelerated beyond mm. what felt right. Um, mm-hmm. and But I don't usually run from things. I'm kind of a run to kind of person. And mm-hmm. I didn't have anything to kind of run to. So mm-hmm. while I thought about it, prayed about it, I stayed in my job and became more willing to share myself with others. So in the past, mm-hmm. I had been a pretty kind of closed off, maybe executive, but I was no longer focused on any sort of upward mobility. And mm-hmm. I became more vulnerable. I had always been a mentor to the younger generation. I really loved that opportunity, actually. But I hadn't mm-hmm. always shared of myself. I was much more about listening, trying to find solutions, you know, mapping out different career paths and things like that. And about this time, a woman named Natalie Zradnik kind of came into my life. Uh, mm-hmm. We co-headed membership for a women's organization in finance that started at just a few dozen people to over thousands that uh, we worked to sort of build with a number of just amazing women. 
And not only did we sort of work together, but we we worked for competing firms um, mm-hmm. in pretty, you know, demanding jobs. But she had just had a son. I was sort of dealing with this idea of like, should I still be in this? And we started to share our lives. And even though there was some risk to that, based on the positions that we were in and the competition that that surrounded us, we became fast friends. And mm. it just sort of opened me up to more women like Jill Mavro, who's just fantastic at solving large problems. Laura Morrison, who's just this name on Wall Street, who is it's just such a kind communicator and this ability to sort of build teams together. So that really started to propel me into like, what should I be doing with my life? <laughs> and I feel like, you know, it's God's plans are pretty cool because it sort of happened that mm-hmm. as I was getting into all this, I got this amazing opportunity from my president boss, Stephen Clark, a man I greatly admire, to sort of leave my position and still work a few hours a month on an exciting kind of product. But I took it and I sort of retired from Wall Street. Mm. But I still didn't have a plan. Like, what was I running to? Mm-hmm. And I knew Eric Samuelson, which I know you guys know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew he had made a switch from fighter pilot to pastor. Uh, but I didn't know how he did that. So I had coffee with him and his wife. And I wanted concrete steps to feel confident that I was sort of going from one thing to the next big thing. Mm-hmm. And I sat on a few board of directors. I consulted with businesses and I love to find big, crazy, hairy problems and find elegant solutions to them. Mm-hmm. But instead of giving me steps, which is what I wanted at that coffee, <laughs> he gave me a bunch of scripture references on peace. Mm-hmm. Peace. Like I didn't really need peace. I wanted a plan, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was actually wrong because peace became the way that I knew God was sort of drawing me into this new plan. Mm-hmm. And at that same time, when I sort of started to see this, I began to be tormented by snippets of story. A character named Maggie introduced herself <laughs> and a scene in a coffee shop with Maggie and a table of catty women played out in my head. And this happened many times. Like I'd wake up at night. I would be thinking about it when I was supposed to be doing something else. And my husband, he finally said, you should write that down. So I gave writing a shot and that writing gave me peace and a passion Mm. that sort of blew my mind. So I wrote that scene. And as soon as I wrote the scene, the scene changed and the perspective shifted and the caddy women weren't against Maggie. They were just absorbed in themselves And I wrote a mirrored scene. And then inadvertently, I wrote a whole novel. (laughs) So that's kind of how it started. I became obsessed with the calling to become a novelist. Wow. That is so cool. (laughs) So do you feel like parts of your job in what you did at Wall Street, do you feel like any of that prepared you for becoming a writer? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I feel like... First of all, all these amazing people that were willing to like come into my office, share their issues, share their home lives and the balance that they were struggling with, with work and the demands of the jobs, mm-hmm. those all became like these little nuances, you know, they, they mm-hmm. became like a tick that my <laughs> character would have or, or something like that. I also, you know, 
I have pretty thick skin. I can kind of deal with a lot of things. I love to learn. I don't mind admitting when I'm wrong or I failed or something like that. And I think Wall Street was a good place for being able to do that because mm. there's plenty of opportunities to fail and do it wrong. <laughs> and I was in strategy. So um, I remember uh, the CEO that came in um, on one of my first major firms and I was running technology strategy at the time and he brought me in and he said, be right more than you're wrong, but don't not be wrong. And I, I thought a lot about that. Um, that it really taught me to like take calculated risks in a way mm. that would like help me learn and become better at what I did. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Mm. That is so cool. Can you say that again? Oh my gosh, I gotta hear that again. <laughs> that is that is so cool. How does that quote you do, go? Re- you do realize we could play this. I know, back. but it's just it's just okay, it's just so good. <laughs> well, so he said, so, so he said to me just to you know to to be right more than you're wrong, but. Don't not be wrong, you know? So, I love that. You know, I think the idea is that if you're always wanting to be right, if you're always yes. searching perfection, you sort of sit in your bubble, sit in your box. You're not willing to like stretch and, you know, make that invitation, stretch and try a new idea and, you know, sometimes look like a fool, which, you know, it, it happens to all of us. <laughs> yeah, I love that. It's such wisdom. Yeah, either that or you or you can go to a much worse place was where you're convinced that you're never wrong. Oh, you goodness. Are. Yes, that is true. That is true. They're full of those in Wall Street, too. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure they're they're everywhere. I mean, people are equal opportunity, you know, (laughs) odd and and bad at things and good at things. So that's true. It's true. Now, I am admittedly a bit of a process junkie. Uh, I love to hear what other people's routines and workflows and stuff like that is, uh, and especially writers, because there is there is a, a whole spectrum of different ways that different writers write. Um, and can, can you describe what your writing process is? Uh, do you have a daily routine or is it a weekly routine or, or how does that work for you? Right. Well, first, I'm a voracious reader. So I believe mm. that before you can become a writer, like my whole sort of life leading up to writing, I was always sketching things out. I was always sort of fascinated by story. And I was always reading three or four books at the same time and very quickly. Like I just, I love the idea that stories can expand the way you think about things. They can inspire you to to try new things. Um, They can get you interested in people that maybe you don't meet in life. So I I think that that's, you know, a big part of my writing routine is my reading routine. Mm. But really it kind of comes down to, are you a plotter or are you a pantser? So do you Mm. like to plot everything or do you like to go by the seat of your pants? And I think people not only in writing, but like in life kind of approach it this way. And because I kind of like to break rules, I am a lot of both. I am both a plotter and a pantser. So I'm obsessed with sort of braided stories with unexpected twists. Think like Jodi Pico. Um, So my characters sort of barge into my life with backgrounds. I sketch, I think in scene. I often say that I just plagiarize my own thoughts, like little plays are sort of going on in my head and I write it down. But I do have to admit, I hate routines. So I'm not always great um, when it comes to like taking my medicine right on time or getting our Henry, Mm -hmm. our dog Henry groomed. Um, So I do thank God that I have a husband that appreciates routine. (laughs) Otherwise, the trash would not get out on time when it should and things like that. (laughs) 
But as much as I hate routines, I love opportunities. So I do sketch out blocks of time on my calendar. And then my brain just sort of gets obsessed with like thinking about how I'm going to use that time. Mm. Um, But maybe and sort of now I'm thinking about it, it, kind of a way to answer your question is, do you want me to tell you kind of how I went about writing my second novel in terms of sort of the process there? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. So I took like a month to plan. So I first started to figure out what was the message of the novel? Like what, what was I trying to like say, or, you know, what was the big kind of hairy issue of it? I started thinking about what the characters, what they wanted, what were some of the tensions, flaws, I just kind of sketched out the major beats of the novel. And then I had this fun thing where I like went and found pictures of my characters online. So I I had a picture of what that character looked like. And then I tried to find the closest photograph online that I could. And then I just like wrote everything I could about that character. So when they were born, how they grew up, what their parents liked, you know, what allergies they had, what what they did on summer vacation, you know, all those things. So I wrote these huge backgrounds. Hmm. And then after that month was over, I gave myself one month to write 50,000 words, which is about 220 pages of a novel, which is about two thirds, you know, complete. But I wanted the entire novel done from like, you know, what happens at the beginning to what happens at the end and mm-hmm. all sort of the major fun and games throughout. And I wrote 50,871 words. I had to look that up. Wow. <laughs> but I wanted to be precise on exactly every word counted because every day I would like, you know, write it down and be like, yes, you know, I'm, I'm working toward this goal. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like almost like step zero of writing mm-hmm. a novel because then it takes six months or more. And I'm in that now of like editing, rewriting, editing, polishing, writing, editing. And I find a ton of fun in that because now you've got this whole skeleton and you're like building it out and you're like building worlds and you're in your character's mind and you're improving the dialogue so that it like actually sounds like how people speak. And throughout all this, I've been really lucky. I have great critique partners, Diane Sampson, who's a a young adult author who's amazing, Jamie Ogle, who's like award-winning for her new novels, Chris Posty, who's done nonfiction and and is now moving into novels. And after we critique each other novels, Chris reached out to each of us and we formed kind of a first writing group. Um, And now I'm involved in quite a few. But writers finding writers that like encourage each other is just, it's like a huge lift mm. to what I'm trying to do. That's so cool. And it, and you can see, I can see just by you kind of telling us all that there is, you know, from Wall Street, you, you dealt with strategy. There is such a strategy to your writing. Mm. It's just how that intertwines, if that's the right word. Yeah. Just kind of, yeah. It's mm-hmm. so cool to see, to see uh, how you use that. That's true. That's true. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. So your your first novel is going to be available soon. Can you kind of give us a preview? Sure, sure. So my first novel is currently with my editor, um, Jamie Chavez. And um, so I'll get back notes and we'll see whew, probably all the work that I'll need to do. Because what's fun <laughs> about writing is that you don't see your own stuff as clearly as someone else sees your stuff. So mm-hmm. so that'll be fun. But the, the first novel is about... It's really the story of Maggie and Rachel. So Maggie's a wife and a mom, and she's trying to have it all and appear perfect. And then her teen commits a crime. And it sort of sends Maggie's life and her marriage into chaos. 
And she's having a hard time sort of withstanding the whispered accusations and just this kind of fall from grace. But meanwhile, in sort of a parallel storyline, Rachel is a pediatric physical therapist, and she knows that she was sort of created for this life of caring for these little kiddos, as she calls them in their families. But one of the mothers accuses her of stealing a child. And this sort of launches into a sort of a crisis for her, where she may lose more than just her career. And it's only when sort of Maggie and Rachel, their lives kind of collide in the story that we find how they sort of find their way out. So that's pretty cool. much what the story's cool. about. Wow. Yeah. That is two yeah. very big, yeah. <laughs> big thing, two very different big things going yeah. on cool. in one story. Yeah. And, and what I, what's, what's fun about it for me is that they sound so sort of disconnected, but mm-hmm. then what's cool is that if I do it well, the twist becomes that which kind of pulls everything together into sort of yeah. a cohesive story. So um, I was really lucky. Really early on, I had one of the best-selling authors, Carrie Stewart Parks. She gave me kind of my first critique on one of the chapters um, that I sent to her. And she was so gracious. I look back on that chapter that I sent her and I think, wow, like mm-hmm. bad. <laughs> like, what was I thinking? But she really kind of helped me understand some of the craft things that I could look on. And she actually saw something in it that I don't even see um, now and really encouraged me to sort of take my writing to the next level. And it is a continuous process. And so you were think we were talking about Wall Street. I think this idea of like continuous improvement and process and learning the latest, either whether it be a technology or investment product, it's sort of like that with writing where I'm constantly trying to sort of better myself and becoming just a, a better writer. Mm, that's great. Yeah. So going back to the process, because again, I'm a, I'm a process, <laughs> self-confessed process nerd. Sure. Uh, out of all the different aspects of the writing process, do you have a favorite part? And then also, what part do you find the most challenging? It's mm, a great question. Well, in the beginning, I thought my favorite part was writing, you know, because if I'm going to be a writer and I'm being tormented by these like stories that are like playing out of my head, then my favorite part should be writing, right? But what I think is so cool about God is that like he's sort of a just in time. I don't always get like this full view of where he's going with stuff. And so I discovered that as soon as I sort of needed the next step, it became my new favorite step. (laughs) So like (laughs) after I finished the draft of the novel, the editing of it became my like new favorite thing to do. Um, Mm. And then also all these other facets of writing, like what might have sounded difficult or tedious suddenly became fascinating, even like discovering that like, I like to junk up my writing with words that don't need to be there. Like the Mm. word that I got to do a, you know, a search on that through my novel and probably found 300, 300 times that I used the word that I'm like, Oh my goodness. So things (laughs) like, thanks. So it was kind of fun. I went back, you know, I have to rewrite each of the sentences that have a that in it and tightens up my prose, you know, makes it snappier So I think what's great about a process by which you're sort of captivated by all of it is that you've got a lot of favorite things to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do say that I do procrastinate sometimes. So one of the opportunities, but also a, a difficulty probably is 
getting an online presence, where do I find my readers? You know, you can't please everyone. Not everyone is everybody's reader. So my favorite books aren't loved by everybody. My books won't be loved by everyone. So how do you find your readers? So I tend to procrastinate a little bit more than I should on Instagram or on Goodreads or, you know, looking up new books on Amazon. Or if I, you know, suddenly need a new recipe for a chickpea curry and have to run to the grocery store. But so procrastination is not usually something that I've struggled with. Uh, but I, I've noticed that when I am trying to sort of get into something and it's not flowing, then procrastination can become sort of an, an evil, uh, an evil <laughs> task to writers. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and probably my most challenging, I kind of mentioned that I have thick skin, but it's a different kind of feedback when you've sort of given birth to this like thing you love mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. people have their opinions on it. And I think that it is probably most challenging when I believe that I've written something that speaks to me and I hope to speak, it speaks to others. And, you know, I'll have 10 people read it, you know, and nine of them will just love it. And one will be like, I don't even get this. Like, why did you say it this way? And, and I kind of forget about the nine and I sort of focus on the one. And Mm -hmm. so that's going to be a challenge for me is knowing that no matter what I write, it's never going to please a full audience. Right. Yes. Yeah. The, I equate it to the first time when I was in a band presenting a song idea to the people in the band. And I had been I'd been working with these people for a while and I knew that they were nice people. They were good people. Mm. And yet I was terrified the first time I I I presented this idea that they were all going to just point and laugh and tell me how bad it was and how I should never write anything ever again longer than a grocery list. <laughs> like all these things in my mind. Like I took it to this place where I was like they're going to kick me out of the band. And I'm the one who started the band, but they're going to kick me out of the band. <laughs> Like that's where my brain went to. So I, I totally get what you're saying. Like you, it is a total different type of thing. Right. Having thick skin and being able to just go, oh, well, whatever. Right. But when it's something that you created, that you wrote, that mm. is, is very personal, personal to you. Yeah. It's, it's different. It's different. It's, it's being vulnerable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and it, and it's, it's like a different process you go through too. You were talking about process. You know, when I was, you know, writing a broker dealer strategy for coming out with a new investment product and having to, you know, change their trading systems, for example, the first time I would present that, you know, others would sort of comment on it, you know, and it wouldn't quite be right. And so my thick skin was like, oh, yeah, sure, we're just gonna, we're gonna fix these pieces. But eventually, I could get something that everyone in the room was behind, right? It was our Mm -hmm. marching orders going forward, the teams were energized, you know, we could sort of manage this through to the end. I can't do that now, right? You know, I can I can take in all the feedback, but I'm never going to have everyone around that table or every one of my readers love the approach I took. And mm-hmm. that's a real sort of shift in my brain. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is a tough thing. And and also because there's elements of stuff that you're that you've created that you're just like, well, no, I just want it that way. Right. I don't care if you like it or not. (laughs) I like it. And, and I think that's, you know, it's that whole, you know, kill your darlings thing that I I think Stephen King gets a lot of credit for, but I'm pretty sure that goes back. It it goes back a long ways before him, but 
Right. Sometimes you just have to let go of these little little bits of business that you love, but yes. it's like totally not yeah. necessary. Doesn't mean anything to the story. It's got to go. And yeah. you're like, no, yes. don't take away, don't take away my binky. You yes. Know? <laughs> yes. I call it my little graveyard. So I like you know things that I love, but just like clog up the story, or it's too much backstory, or yeah. you know, it just it's just not needed once a scene goes in a different direction than I expected. Because my characters do things all the time that surprise me. I'm shocked, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, why are you doing that? And my fingers are still flying. So all of a sudden things that I thought were going to come in don't. So I just, you know, I cut it and I paste it into my little graveyard. So I never, yes. they're never deleted. They're just sort of yes. sitting there like, you know. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I've actually, I've, I've, I was just reading last week a, a writer saying, you don't have to necessarily kill your darlings. You just relocate them. Yes. And, Excellent. And, oh, that's a good line. Yes. And that they'll either have like a document for all of their darlings or it's just for whatever they're working on. And then some of them have actually said, I've, I actually went back and took two or three things from that, meshed it all together, and it ended up becoming a new project after mm. that, which I was like, that's yeah. crazy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, that happened to me recently. So I had written uh, another part of a scene where I introduced a a young family and it ended up that it just didn't fit in my novel. So it was only a few paragraphs long. So I put that in my graveyard, but then a um, writing competition came up and they were looking for short stories. And I sometimes use short stories to sort of work on craft. So for example, I don't write romance, but I might write a short story with romantic elements because it helps me sort of work out things that I don't want to work out in my larger novel. And so Mm -hmm. I wrote this short story on this small family and it was such a cathartic thing for me because I had cut it and I knew it wasn't going to be in the novel, but I hated to see them, you know, not get their light of day. And Mm -hmm. it actually, you know, won the competition. So it was like really kind of a encouraging thing for me to, to, to use short stories like that. That's Yeah. I love to ask this because it's it's so, you know, it's something that um, we always like to hear. We feel like we learn a lot through this. But how would you say you define success? Mm. Success. Well, I have to say that I've thought a lot about this concept of success throughout my career and not just with writing. And I would say that I was informed. I had sort of gotten informed about what success looked like pretty early on. So when I graduated from college, I actually knew I was going to med school, not finance, um, mm-hmm. but I just needed a break from sort of schooling. And I did Teach for America, which is, you think, Peace Corps meets inner city high school. Mm-hmm. And so after an all-consuming year of science experiments and <laughs> heartbreaking dropouts and and I actually got beat up as well, I was worn out. Um, Mm. And I met one of my best friends to this day, Nicole Gates. She taught middle school. I taught high school. And we were sort of in it together. But when I look back on it and looked back on it even then, by many of those objective measures, I was a failure. And I hadn't really had much experience with that kind of failure. I went to college early. I was a good student, a good test taker. And I knew how to succeed, but I don't know that I knew what success was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really think you can know success until you're, you sort of get beaten down by a failure and, mm. you know, students that I cared for and that I thought I could make this huge difference in, you know, failed to show up to class. Those that were given many second chances just blew it, you know, and gave up the idea of an education. Many couldn't 
sort of separate themselves from like what was going on in their neighborhoods and in their families. And it was just hard on my heart. And then I think it was, you know, my best friend, Nicole, and my mom and my one of my best friends, Kim Mellon, that sort of reminded me that there were a few. There was like Dina and Trisha and Daniel. And I know these kids to this day where I learned sort of the meaning of do for one what you wish you could do for many. Mm-hmm. And so success for me it might not be the objective measure of the outcome. So when you kind of add up all the students that I was supposed to impact and, you know, I kind of come up with three, um, that doesn't seem like very much a success. But now I sort of define success as kind of being called by God and not shirking that duty, but sort of working hard and with as positive a spirit as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think sometimes that calling from God is like life changing, like, Christine, you are now a writer and novelist. (laughs) And then sometimes it's like this tiny little voice that says, give that homeless man your business card and do what needs to be done. Um, But in each case, it's like success is now knowing that I can make a difference in like some small way that Mm. is sort of mine to own. So Mm. I think, you know, and I think that sort of definition of success has saved me a lot of heartache through my Wall Mm. Street career that, you know, doesn't always go as you have planned, but you work hard and you, you know, you get it done to the best of your ability. Mm. That's great. I just, just from being outside, just, and I know it was kind of a throwaway thing, but just, you know, saying out of the hundreds of students that you were, you were teaching and you, you remember three, yeah, you, in, in pure cold mathematics, that could look bad. But when you think about the, that those are three lives. Yeah. That's, that's actually a a tremendous impact. Yeah. You know, so that's, uh, just, just a little side note, uh, from my perspective. Yes. And a call out to all the teachers, whether you're in an inner city high school or anywhere, it's just a sometimes thankless, but amazing job to like get our next generation, you know, ready to sort of take on the world. So, Mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. They are superheroes. That's for sure. That is sure. Yes. Yes. Uh, and speaking of, of superheroes, uh, in a way, uh, we are a bit of inspiration junkies here. Mm. We, we love to hear what inspires others because it inspires us. So Mark, our question to you is who or what inspires you either personally or professionally? Ah, well, I think in a lot of ways I live by inspiration too. You know, I wouldn't be me without my faith. And then as for people, uh, I think I've mentioned a few, um, but I really find a lot of inspiration from people who are willing to sort of share their lives in in ways that just make other people stronger. So Katie Malazzo, she's an amazing photographer and a young life leader and and her and the other young life leaders in this area, you know, Chiat and uh, Katie's husband, Cole, and and just all of them are just inspiring to me. I know Taylor Sykes, who is a ministry leader and a strong woman of faith. She's actually getting married soon, and I'm really happy for her. But she just has a a way of sort of speaking to others and just giving of herself that's unique. Uh, Faye Wilson, that I know you you and I both know, we, we all know her. She's the founder of Green Tree Ministries, owner of Roots Cafe, which I find delicious. And I'm inspired by her because she puts her faith into action like every day. Um, she's always looking for ways to sort of live it out. 
Stephanie Smith was just over the other day and she runs a ministry called From the Overflow and she has a heart for service and connecting sort of with women. And I find that very inspiring. So I think I could probably go on and on. Um, <laughs> but uh, Katie Genshart, for example, she's a best-selling author, uh, mother, uh, wife, and you know she's she's like done it. She's she's really she's made a career of writing what she loves and doing it in such a an elegant way. And so I salute mm-hmm. her and inspired by careers that sort of are ahead of mine. So I I think I I spend quite a bit of time connecting with people and being inspired by, by what, when people are, are called to do something great, um, they do it. Yeah. That's awesome. Right on. Well, thank you, Christine, uh, very much for taking time out yes. of your day for, for talking with us, for sharing about your, about your work, but also your inspiration and, uh, and just what goes into the writing process and, and yeah. how you got to there, because I think that's a, that's a great story for, yeah. for others because there, Wall Street to author is not a normal career path. <laughs> so I think this, is, this can be a really great, number one, it's just, a, it's just a fun and a great story to hear, but mm-hmm. it can be very inspiring to other people who might not be able to see like, okay, how do I connect the dots from where I'm at to, where I, to what I might want to do? Uh, so I think this could be your story itself could be very inspiring to others. So thank you for sharing yes, that with us. Thank you for being here today and sharing with us. We'll, I'll be sure to share your uh, your social media and and website in our show notes, and uh, we'll be on the lookout for your first novel when it's ready to go to press and is uh, available for the public. Great. Well, I will certainly let you know. Thank you for this. This has been it's been fun, and it's been fun to just think about not only the people, but sort of their stories as well and in all of our stories. So thanks for what you do. I really appreciate this time. 